was uh amy irving singing jessica rabbit's uh why don't you do right and i never knew i never knew that that was actually sue snell from the carrie movie did you guys know that sue snell what i did not know that i uh, neither did i but you know amy irving has one of those careers where she appears in so many different things mm-hmm. you know yeah she, 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 she does but like she was like four years old when she did carrie so oh, it was, oh you it was like the original carry the original carry from 1976 okay, okay. yeah wow wow yeah sue snell from carry not the not not that bullshit new one which is like mm-hmm. a shot for shot remake only with bad actors uh mm-hmm. if if you haven't seen it i think you should see it just because it's so entertaining to see the awful actors try to just reenact that whole movie um Anyway, hello, and welcome to the Who Framed Roger Rabbit episode of MSV Podcast. Today, we have two returning guests once again. We have Will Sapinero. How you doing, Will? Happy to be here. How are you? Happy, happy to be here once again. I, you know, you have a flawless track record of being happy to be here. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, it's a good time. It's 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 a it's a good record to have because it's you know when it you're not stick. happy when you're not happy to be here it it can it can become an issue. <laughs> if I just showed up and I was just like I hate you and I don't like that I'm here. <laughs> and no, let's go on to the a- episode. Is it? <laughs> let's just do it. And uh, of course, another returning champion to the show, uh, Mr. Ken Radner who I always love working with. How you doing, Ken? I'm happy to be here. <laughs> uh, you're not sure, I guess. I, I, I've never been so sure of anything in my life. Are you <laughs> trying to sound like Aaron now? <laughs> <laughs> you know Aaron, right? You, you've, you've, have you worked with Aaron? Um, you know, I'm not sure that I have. Oh, well, we're going to have to get you on a show with him. So, okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah. How was everyone's Christmas? Did everyone get like good gifts and stuff? Yeah, it was um, nice. Uh, no, yeah, it, wait, mine was my, well, my, my Christmas evenings were okay, but I actually had to work that weekend. Oh no. Like on Christmas day. Was, and all yeah. That? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a little annoying, but we we had uh, we had you know good you know Christmas dinners, and you know we got to we got to watch uh, Glass Onion that the new night. Oh wait, movie, wait, wait! So. Don't say anything. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying anything it. about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna say it's good. Yes. Okay, I'm good. Say it's good, 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 good. Worth a watch. And you, you, right. if I recall, you work in the like a like the medical field, right? 
Yeah, yeah, I do right, bracing so. and artificial bracing, limbs. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of trauma work over the weekend. All right. Well, cool. Great. I'm glad everyone has been happy this uh, particular Christmas holiday, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all that. But that's uh, that's the discussion for another episode. Right now, we're talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. And of course, this is one of those movies where it just jumps right in. Now, we open with the Baby Herman cartoon. I was watching it. Of course, I have to rewatch, even if I've seen the movie a million times, I have to rewatch it in preparation for the podcast, just so I can you know, pick up on the little details and all that stuff. And I never realized just how hilarious this opening cartoon was even independent of the whole like cartoons existing in the real world. It's just such a fucking ridiculous cartoon. Um, So let's start off with Ken. Ken, did you like this cartoon at the beginning? I know it was, it was definitely great. They had, this was, I mean, this is the something that runs through the whole movie is that they kind of do these slight imitations of, styles of cartoons you know from like the 40s era you know like the classic looney tunes type stuff there were plenty of ones with like you know like the little baby or the little kitten almost <laughs> getting into trouble yeah. and then the big dumb dog saves him at the last second and so this was this was one thing that they did everything in this movie is animated so well and and again robert zemeckis the guy obviously knew what he was doing. He was at the top of his game at this time. And uh, they just obviously, yeah. yeah, they were obviously fans of this stuff. As a lot of us were growing up, that's what kind of, you know, made that, that opening was so great because they just nailed it. I mean, that, that could have oh, easily yeah. have been a Looney Tunes cartoon. I, I wish that Roger Rabbit had been a real cartoon character instead of yeah, someone yeah. like they, they invented for the movie because he's such a, like, I don't know. He just encompasses everything like everything great about cartoons is Roger Rabbit in this like what four minute cartoon. And I I mean, you know, the, the kitchen becoming enormous, like bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. every time he gets himself into worse and worse trouble. And he's like flying around. Oh, incredible. Will. Yes. Opening cartoon. Hey, oh, I think it's 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 darn near perfect. Um, I uh, think it, it's a, it's, it, it does, it does three things really well. I think the first thing that it does is it, it, it definitely just sets up exact, like all the backstory you need that this is Roger Rabbit. This is what he does. He's, he is a cartoon, but cartoons are real and it's work. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, I that, love it. That's like that's all you really need and it's mm-hmm. it is and the, so the second thing i feel that they do is they really nail the like whole tex avery like era of cartoons mm-hmm. like it's just an as you guys said it's an amazing pastiche of <laughs> of that I, um, and i yeah i'm sorry oh no go ahead well because uh, you said right. um so i it's ah gotcha yeah Generally speaking, people say, um, bef- you know, when they're not finished talking, but you're you're a unique individual. So that's how you that's how you end your sentences. Um, so. Yeah, and and you're right. 
And obviously, we are not introduced to this yet during this opening cartoon. But like you said, it's work. These people, like cartoon characters, get paid to be in these cartoons. And what a concept. Of course, it originally it came from a book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. I uh, mm-hmm. I, I got through that one also in prep for, for the podcast because it's so much. It was such a good book, too. It's it's it, it's like there's almost nothing the same between the book and the cartoon, like a couple of lines here and there and the whole like tunes coexisting with people and they do it for work and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, maybe it's disappointing, maybe it's not. But the idea for the movie was not completely original, but what they did with it was they made it an original like new story about it cartoon characters instead of comic strip characters um so yeah and now the cartoon ends you know they open the refrigerator door he sees birds Raul wanted to see stars and for so i don't know like i guess that's roger's fault that he wasn't seeing stars like he can help it i don't know so hollywood 1947 as I said, as we all said, the cartoons coexist with the real people. And, you know, Roger's begging Raul to give him another chance. They're like, oh, look, I can give you stars. Look. And he like keeps banging himself over the head. And then they show Eddie with this like contrastingly solemn look. Takes a swig from his whiskey. Goes, Tunes. And then he makes his way into RK Maroon's office. As like I said, this movie just goes right in like it wastes absolutely no time introducing the story, which you don't see too much these. Well, these days, this was 1988, but, you know, they just they 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 went right into it. <laughs> RK Maroon says, how much do you know about business, Mr. Valiant? <laughs> and Eddie Valiant shows his character. He goes, only there's no business like it. No business. I know. So anyway, a whole bunch of, um, I guess, back and forth banter. R.K. Maroon tells Eddie that Roger's wife, Jessica, is evil, but Roger thinks that she's perfect. And he wants Eddie to take some pictures of Jessica in action, quote unquote, uh, so Roger can see what a tramp that she really is. And uh, I don't like I, I didn't quite understand this whole like he's like, oh, yeah, I'll how come he can't focus on his work when too many refrigerators dropped on his head? No, you can drop anything you want. He'll shake it off. But um, he was saying, you break his heart. He falls to pieces like you and me. So I want you to take these pictures so that his heart gets broken so that he stops being able to focus on his work, even though he can't focus on his work. It makes no sense to me. Of course, it all comes into view later. But um, Maroon tells Eddie, that he can catch Jessica when she performs at the Ink and Paint Club, which is a strictly human attendance club. And Eddie agrees to do it for $100. Uh, then we get the scene. Eddie walks through a bunch of cartoon characters. You know, he, he acts like he's surprised. He hitches a, a ride on the back of the red car and makes a very foreshadowing remark. Who needs a car in L.A.? We got the best public transportation system in the world. Um... So here's where it kind of gets interesting because that was that was just like a little bit of like, okay, here's the setup. I'll do the job for a hundred dollars. 
And then he tries to pay the bus driver with a check. What do I look like a bank? Um, Eddie gets his bills from the mailman and throws them out immediately. I don't know like what sense that makes, but he does it. And then he goes across the street where the first interesting thing that we don't actually know that it's supposed to be interesting, but he makes his way across the street to the bar. And we find out that a company called Cloverleaf bought the red car. Dolores, the bartender and Eddie's love interest has apparently lent him money from the bar till Eddie presents her with the $50 and borrows her camera to get the other $50. They have something of a strained romantic past, which I'm not so sure is completely important, but it, it could be. Uh, and then a, a customer named Angelo keeps teasing Eddie about working with a tune, which he didn't realize was a sensitive topic because a tune killed Eddie's brother by dropping a piano on his head. Now, I wonder, um, let's start with Will. Like, yes. all this foreshadowing and like lead up, you know, like we got Roger talking to the to the guy and like we get our introduce introduction to him although it is kind of from afar we don't actually meet him yet we kind of just see him you know interacting from eddie's point of view almost um mm -hmm. all the way up to you know uh cloverleaf bought the red car what are we what are your opinions on like these foreshadowings if any well i mean I mean, it's it's setting the scene. It's setting up the story. Um, I will I will add the sidebar that the Cloverleaf um, addition to the script was actually the original uh, working sequel to Chinatown. Hmm. Yeah. And yep. even down to like they were going to call it Cloverleaf, like the whole like the story car. was going to be that Cloverleaf bought the red car. Bought the red car and is gonna demolish Toontown. Demolish Toontown. <laughs> wow, that it's like the uh, it went the same from Chinatown to Toontown. You see how demolish Chinatown. Well, I understand it is about civil rights. Ken, your thoughts on this setup here? Because everything kind of seems very just kind of run of the mill. Like, all right, whatever. This guy wants me to do the stupid job, and he's gonna pay me a hundred bucks. And Cloverleaf bought the red car and all that. What do, you, what do you think about this setup? Is it well done? I mean, it's well, this is this is your classic, you know, film noir beginning. Mm. You know, it's it's usually always they have the detective. They want him to take some pictures and then he takes the pictures. And then as he's running away, somebody gets murdered. So then he gets blamed for the murder because they needed a patsy. It's like, you know, it's like it's like a very common trope. And uh, what, you know, Will said about about Chinatown is that you know i had i had uh heard you know in doing my research that they really used e even if they didn't necessarily use the plot from chinatown to mirror the plot from roger rabbit the plot from chinatown was so you know kind of typical of that type of noir movie that it tended to follow a lot of the same beats there are people mm -hmm. that will say they just took chinatown and just repurposed it you know and just changed a few names around um, and so what I did was I watched a little bit of Chinatown. Uh, so I watched Roger Rabbit and then I watched a little bit of Chinatown mm -hmm. and the first 15 minutes, they got Jack Nicholson's character giving his client pictures of his wife in throes <laughs> of infidelity. 
and he's wow. flipping through the pictures. The camera's on the photos and he's flipping mm-hmm. through the pictures and then he runs to the window crying. And I was like, this is the exact same scene. <laughs> you know, so, except with a cartoon you know, character. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of that, you know, the private eyes taking pictures of a guy's wife cheating on him. But just the way they did it, and then the shot of the photos and him moving the photos, and then it was yeah. just, I mean, mm-hmm. it was so you know similar in that sense that yeah. um a lot of this stuff you could see how this whole thing was designed around that common you know theme of you know right. being that that classical film noir thing that that's what they were going for, and obviously you know to make a parody of it, and they they definitely did a a good job. I think maybe oh, what uh, a good job they did, yeah, 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 you know. I mean, yeah. like, uh, as, as far as getting into that gangster stuff, I think Johnny Dangerously. Ah, Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> that was another. That was another good movie. Of course, a topic for another another uh, show. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was a great movie. And of course, yeah. I got my first glance of it by watching "This Is the Life" by Weird Al Yankovic. If yeah. Uh, yeah. if you recall the video. Um, yes. So. Of course, you know, I didn't want to be talking for too much, for too long about the, you know, all of this because, you know, I don't want it to be the John Seymour show. I want it to be the John Seymour and Friends show. So that's why, you know, we're like, hey, let's talk about the film noir and all the setup and all this. And what do you think about this before we get on to the actual really fun part of the movie? Eddie goes to the Ink and Paint Club. And of course, you know, he like has the encounter with the Toon Gorilla who do, do either of you know if that was like that guy's act, like someone actually doing that voice or if it was like altered in like a voice modulator. Oh, I don't I'd know if it was altered. You, you don't know if it was but altered? I, I don't know if it was altered, but I do know it was voiced by oh uh one of the editors. Herman. Uh like ah. one uh, sorry. This is that's a confusing statement. One of the <laughs> video editors that was in the movie, not someone who edited the movie. Oh, like one of the someone people who played who was an actor who also played who was like running the film editor. through the yes. machine. I got you. Okay, okay. <laughs> I understand. More difficult that's... to say than I wanted it. <laughs> well, that's funny. Well, yeah, because you know it, it's it's funny if you haven't if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should watch this scene because this that the voice of that gorilla is just like ridiculous it's like super dumb like i can't even this i can't do it i don't know if humans would be able to get that kind of register but yeah there seems to be a lot of bass in it yeah yeah exactly right so anyway you know he got the password and you know he goes in to the ink and paint club and of course the iconic daffy duck and donald duck scene playing uh what is that rhapsody and what i'm sorry what was the name of that piece we don't know. Okay. What? Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, obviously well known, but you know, not yeah, well known I, enough to I, I didn't I didn't what's that? I was gonna say, say it's well one known of those classical not... pieces. It's yes, yeah. I, and I didn't I didn't that... do the proper research for, for that for that music because I was just so excited about the movie itself. But yes, it was and they're just yeah. like they're throwing each other around and it's all great. And then like the Donald Duck brings a, a, a cannon out of his piano. Hungarian Rhapsody number two. Thank you, Nick. Okay. Uh, that's the one. All right. So, you know, 
the duck act is really great. I wish I could see that in real life. I wish tunes coexisted with people. I mean, you know, I'm not even going to lie. I would have a lot of fun with that. Anyway, Marvin Acme, the owner of Toontown, is at the table next to Eddie. He squirts Eddie's shirt with disappearing ink, which will pay off later, of course. A lot of these things will pay off later. And he buzzes his hand with a joy buzzer. Uh, <laughs> you know, and he goes, like, oh, you know, it's not, you're not going to think it's funny when I stick that pen up your nose. Of course, the, the, the stain disappears. And Eddie orders scotch on the rocks and literally gets scotch with rocks in it, which he again says tunes. Uh, Betty Boop comes around. A lot of fun with that. And then Jessica Rabbit is about to come on. And at this point, Eddie and I'm assuming the audience still thinks that Jessica is an actual rabbit. Because, you know, all we know is that Jessica Rabbit is married to Roger Rabbit. We don't know what she and looks like. she's a cartoon. And she's a cartoon. She's, she's what they call a humanoid. A humanoid cartoon. But we don't Which know I don't know if they ever actually say that in the movie. But not. it's said in the book. In the book, Jessica Rabbit is a humanoid cartoon character. Which just means a human that is drawn. So, anyway. Eddie wonders why Acme would be so obsessed with her. And then, of course, we find out with the famous Amy Irving rendition of Why Don't You Do Right? What a song that was. And, you know, it's a cartoon character, but it still it still gets you where you don't want it to get you because it's so sensual. Uh, Okay, so in the pants. Exactly. On the other side. (laughs) Ken, what are your thoughts on the Ink and Paint Club? So much fun. Okay. Well, I mean, there's a, there's actually a lot in this in this scene. I just don't mean in the actual visual scene, but a lot to do with this scene, a lot of um, you know, things that go along with it. Um, mm-hmm. the, the first thing is that technically, um, the way that they had to film this scene, so one thing that you notice is that it's all, you know, tunes that are serving people and performing, but they're holding real items. Right. So they're holding real yes. bottles. They're, you know, holding real food. They're holding real trays. So the easy way, of course, to do this would have been to have them animated. But instead, mm-hmm. what they instead what they did, because, of course, when you're doing a high budget movie, you find ways to you know spend a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> the entire yes. set was built uh, like either six or eight feet off the ground. I think they said eight they feet off anima- the ground. Yeah. Eight feet. Yeah. yeah. They had like yeah. little animatronic arms holding mm-hmm. everything when it would go yep. around. So that was the first thing that I'm like the lengths that these guys would go to just so that they could get real items being, you know, being thrown around. And then like the octopuses having stuff on wires and, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then um, the actress that was playing Betty Boop was the original voice of Betty Boop. Oh, is that right? It was, so it was the original actress and she was the elderly aunt in Christmas vacation. Hmm. That right, was her last right. role. 
you know, so that, mm. that was always interesting. But I mean, besides that, I mean, you know, come on, when you first see Jessica Rabbit, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, <laughs> and I guess what the movie came out in, what was it? What was it? 88, 88 1988. Yeah. So I, so I was 17. <laughs> and then, so I'm still in high yeah. school. And I <laughs> see that and I'm just like, oh, I don't have a girlfriend. Uh, you know, like that, like that yeah. was, that, that was <laughs> But, um, I mean, it was great. I mean, just, you know, that's, that's, you know, big focal point of the movie mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, something you, you never really forget that one. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Like it's such an iconic scene. You know, I, I, I would argue to say it's one of the most, and it has absolutely nothing to do with Roger Rabbit or Eddie Valiant. It's Jessica mm-hmm. Rabbit who was like, you know, when you think of who framed Roger Rabbit, what do you think of? Yes, of course. You think of like a stupid, you know, bunny with a with a. The, I don't even know how how Charles Fleischer yeah. did that with his. I'm like, I like. I just want to see a video of Charles Fleischer doing that. You know, just as Charles. Fleischer. I want to see a video of it because he did it in costume. I yeah, yeah, yes, I, I also want to see that. That's what I want to um, see. So, it's funny about uh, about the, the the Jessica Rabbit scene. Well, so as we know, it's, you know, it's, uh, ah, shit. Kathleen Turner does the voice of Jessica Rabbit for the, for the rest of the movie. It's Amy Irving who does the singing voice. And when she's on stage, her dress is like super sparkly, you know, like very like shiny, reflective, you know, like diamonds all over the place. Uh, they said that it took such a long time and it was such a painstaking effort to get her dress to look like that. That any subsequent scene, it's just a regular dress. It doesn't it doesn't sparkle like that because it was it was just too much of a pain to get it to look like that. And um, a thing about the dueling pianos with Donald Duck and Daffy Duck is that um, they actually sped up the piano. Those were like those are automatic player pianos, mm-hmm. you know, which which was the easiest way to get that done. And they had they like sped it up to a speed where like no human would actually be able to play it at that speed, which is weird to me because it didn't seem like it was all that fast. Cause it's like, but you know, if they say it, then they say it. I don't play the piano. So I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry, Will, uh, your thoughts. Oh, I think this is the first like real money shot of the film. Like, this is like, yeah, this is like the price of admission. This is the okay. Now we're getting to see all the cartoons together. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the f- first time we have uh, the uh, Daffy Duck and Donald Duck together. First right, and that, only time. That's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a, I mean, I think that's a big deal. Um, in addition to, as you guys were saying, with the way that they, they chose to, they kind of chose the hard way. I remember uh, doing research for this um, and reading a lot of like everyone being like, yeah, we quote unquote broke the rule of doing film and animation where we move the camera. And I forget, I think it was Robert Zemeckis was just like, well, yeah, the only reason that's a rule was because it's really, really hard. So we just got them to do the really hard thing of changing the perspective and the angle of the cartoon as it moved. But the irony, um, I, I'm sorry, yes. go ahead. Well, the irony but, is that he, he actually said 
that doing the animation with the moving camera ended up being easier than keeping it still. So ah, I'm sorry. No, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Um. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's just the payoff of ha- not only having the animated characters, but having them interact with the world and carry like you know the the physical tray and such uh as the the penguin waiters and and all yeah. that this was i mean you you saw like little bits and pieces with roger in the beginning uh like grabbing Raul's jacket sleeve and all that but this mm-hmm. was definitely i think the first scene where you actually see cartoons interacting with real things like ken was saying they put so much effort into you know making it look like these cartoon penguins were carrying trays and putting the glasses down and and like the octopus i think i saw a uh uh, like a side by side where they had the scene before the the cartoons were put in with the octopus and it was just like a bunch of floating glasses and stuff and it's like okay that's probably the like one of the easier things to do but to actually get the stuff to move around as though they're being pushed by cartoons Mm -hmm. i I commend them for that that's a really good one uh one interesting thing about that scene that i can say is that in the commentary they said they didn't want to be accused of just having human actors take like you know in in the place of the cartoons that they just drew over uh so they didn't they gave they did not give Jessica a nose, but immediately after the guy said, we had a human. Yeah. Her shape and all that. But immediately after the guy said, we had a human actor, you know, on stage, like pulling people's ties and taking their hats off and stuff. And it's like, you just said you didn't <laughs> want to be accused of having a human in the place of a cartoon, but Hey, you know what? Who cares? If there's a human in the place of a cartoon, it looks cool. It looks great. It looks awesome. Um, and it, there are certain cartoons where you would not be able to have a human in that in their place. So, mm-hmm. you know, all that. So anyway, um, Eddie takes pictures of Acme and Jessica literally playing patty cake. It's, it's not a euphemism. They are actually playing patty cake and uh, shows them to Roger. Maroon gives roger a drink because he did not take it well and of course when roger takes this drink it causes all sorts of craziness insanity and destruction which will pay off later on like i said a lot of payoff from one end of the movie to the next and uh, roger asserts that he and jessica will be happy and flies out the window in that scene that you were talking about in chinatown right so um uh i i watched this scene and I, I tried to watch it and like you know like pause it when Roger f- like flew out of the chair and like broke the window in the shape of Roger it was pretty cool because I did pause and the window was not broken while he was jumping into it like they actually I don't know I get they had like a breakaway something that you know I, I don't know but it wasn't broken when he was running to it. And it was only like three frames, but like they, they did, they did everything the honest way, I guess you could say. So that was kind of cool. 
pretty cool. Really cool. Really awesome. More stuff about, you know, Roger moving stuff around, flying, smashing his head on the desk and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, Eddie's back in his office and, uh, you know, we see a lot of flashback through pictures of his brother and uh, Lieutenant Santino, who was apparently in Star Wars and was choked to death oh, by, yes. by Darth Vader. Yeah. Right? <sighs> yeah. I didn't know that. I only, I was, I only knew that because I watched the commentary. Um, he informs Eddie that Marvin Acme was murdered and that the rabbit cacked him last night. Funny thing about the cacked. People who were like, you know, film noir snobs say they're, that cact is not a word. Cact is, you know, it's like, okay, they made up a word then, I guess. They, they Shakespeared it. They did, they did it that way. Uh, so they went to the Acme warehouse, and we see that Acme had a safe dropped on his head, which is typical of cartoon murder. Uh, the cartoon hole and spring boxing glove are shown, which we'll both pay off later. Uh, Judge Doom makes his entrance in this scene. So brilliantly played by Christopher Lloyd. Oh my God, what a role. What an act this best. guy did. So it's like it's like up there with Doc Brown. Incredible. Might and it be was even right better. after Doc Brown, right? It was in between the two Doc Browns. In between the two Doc Browns, which is even more mm-hmm. impressive, I would say. Um, so he tells Eddie that Maroon told him that Roger insisted that one way or another, he and his wife are going to be happy. And I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to do that guy's voice. Cause how, how do Aww. you, how do fine, fine. You, you coaxed it, co- coaxed, co- coked, coked me, coaxed me, coaxed, coaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already tired. Anyway, <laughs> so, oh, all right, fine. Yes, we were talking with Mr. Maroon, and he said the rabbit got quite irritated, or whatever the word was. And he insisted that one way or another, he and his wife are going to be happy. Is this true? What am I, a stenographer? Anyway, this is... <laughs> no one thinks this is funny except me. So... Doom then says that his men will find Roger. And this is where we are introduced to the Weasels, led by none other than Mr. Andrew Squigman of Laverna and Shirley fame. The, the same actor. I don't know what his name is. But anyway, so Judge Doom picks up a cartoon shoe and proceeds to kill it by dropping it into a barrel of his own invention. Turpentine acetone benzene. He calls it the dip. Fun fact about turpentine acetone benzene, it's a formula used to clean animation cells. So that, I mean, it doesn't, you know, smoke like that when you open it. It doesn't have those fumes to it. And it's, I'm sure it's not green like that, but that's the formula to clean animation cells. But here, anyway, that, kids, you can make it at home. You can make the dip and kill cartoon shoes. So. Will. Yes. So we find out that the that that Marvin Acme was killed and we suspect that the rabbit kicked him. They are at the uh, the warehouse where we're introduced to Judge Doom and the Weasels. Your thoughts on this? 
I mean, I think you summed up Christopher Lloyd's performance best. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's flawless. It's great. It's the best mm-hmm. thing he did since Doc Brown. As then he did Doc Brown again. <laughs> so um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think he he plays it. He plays it well. He definitely plays it scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there is there's still there's still a funness about it. Like it's it's not. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I remember watching it like as a kid and not being like scared, but being like, oh yeah, no, he's the bad guy. Like and like he yeah mm-hmm. he's but like in a cool way. Um, whereas actually I did hear that uh, Tim Curry uh, auditioned for it. And I, they I could see it. And and yeah, here's also something you could probably see is that they thought he was too scary. <laughs> too scary. Like he, they were like, Yeah, you're going a little too dark with this. Wow. Yeah. Um I mean I I mean, you know, we we all say this, you know, we all find out about how like alternate actors could have played this role, and you know, the only reason he didn't is because they said he was too scary, but otherwise mm-hmm. he would have gotten the job and all that. Christopher Lloyd, I think, was just incredible. And if I had to choose, I would choose Christopher Lloyd. Because like you said, same. Right. Because like you said, he's not like super scary. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that his face is caked with putty. And it doesn't even really. I mean, I, I mean, look, obviously, for reasons that will be revealed later, it doesn't look real. It doesn't look like a real face. So, you know, it, it, that's why I kind of feel like, oh, you know, and he does it well. And Ken, I don't know if you were going to say this because I know you do a lot of research. So mm. I hope I'm not taking one of your fun facts away. Go ahead. Christopher Lloyd never blinked on screen. That was to give him that was to give him the whole like, all right, well, there's something off about him. You can't quite put your finger on it other than the putty face. He never blinked because he was attuned those weren't real eyes so why would he need to blink right and he always had that like like his eyes were half closed kind of look like they were just kind of serving a visual purpose they weren't actually functional ken let's uh let's hear your thoughts on this whole acme warehouse thing and the rabbit cacked him last night (laughs) well this is i mean this is where you get to see um, it it more further fleshes out um, uh, the the character where you get to see how um, you know the police don't res- don't respect Eddie anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, helps to show that you know obviously you know from showing that one you know montage scene before of uh, him and his brother and uh, you know basically what happened and. You know, just like the comical way in that, you know, <laughs> his side of the room hasn't been touched in however many years. And, you know, and even though, you know, it's, it's you even think about you like Eddie's not the cleanest guy in the world. You know, why does the line of dust stop right there? It's, it's you know, but whatever. It's a concept. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so like you get to see all that and then, you know, you get to more, move on later. See how the cops obviously, you know, they don't respect him because something happened. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still more of that's one way um, that Zemeckis carries it through this entire movie is that he's really good at telling the story without really having to give exposition. 
mm-hmm. which is yeah. really a great thing because exposition tends to kind of like ruin a movie. Like when someone has to explain to you what's going on and you don't just kind of know it already. It's like, you know, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like when someone tells you a joke and then they have to explain the joke. It just, yeah. it just ruins it. Right. Exactly. So this is. Yeah. So this is like one way that he really excels in this movie. And you see it through the whole thing that just by showing you what happens, he's telling you what happened, Yep. you know, and then, and then that way you don't really need an explanation. I mean, granted it's a pretty, you know, it, it's a simple concept and the idea, anybody who's ever seen a Looney Tunes, you know, you know, cartoon is basically going to know what's happening by seeing what's happening, but that's just the way, you know, at least he doesn't have to, uh, tell anybody about it and then it's it's just you know a furtherance of you know again you know a furtherance of the plot bringing everything along christopher lloyd obviously amazing the thing i always remember about seeing him was i you know i guess the skin kind of got me but it was really just his teeth i was like what the hell yeah. is up with his teeth <laughs> well, like, it's just like they're almost glowing like what the hell is going, like, what's yeah i was like what's huh. going on so, you know, obviously there's something always very unsettling about him. He does play a pretty, you know, classic kind of villain. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, you know, and then just the idea that he's a judge makes it all that much more frightening. Oh, yeah. You know, even though he beha- doesn't even behave closely to how any kind of judge anywhere ever has. Well, but it just, they, it, you know, they said, um, you know, how did that guy get to be a judge? And, uh. Right. He was like, oh, like he like bought the election in Toontown or something. Uh, some, yeah, he showed like up that. and started throwing a lot of money around. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you vote for me, Toontown will exist forever. Or something. I don't know. I just I yeah. I wanna I wanna know Judge Doom before the movie. Maybe they'll make a prequel movie about Judge Doom. Well, he wasn't I have a feel but before the movie he probably wasn't Judge Doom. He was just that screamy Toon oh, that right. killed Eddie's brother. And he was, he he was just, just probably, a cartoon, yes. Right, and then he went in disguise toon. and then showed up and started throwing money around and became a judge. Mm-hmm. Because he had a <laughs> plan. Right, he was a toon. Alright. So, um, forgive me, Will, did you, did you say the things? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you for saying the things. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. So, so Eddie goes back up to his office and he finds baby Herman there. Uh, funny thing with this lady, like lighting a cigar for the baby. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? It's, you know, it's baby Herman who actually has that, like, really grouchy sounding voice. And, uh, you know, he makes his innuendos. I got a 50 year old lust and a three year old dinky. Funny, funny stuff with that. So anyway. It's not for kids, even though it's oh, no. said by by a child. That's uh, he was the original baby who said things that are not meant to be heard by children. Followed very very long after by Stewie Griffin. So anyway, um, yeah, Baby Herman insists that Roger did not murder Marvin Acme. He says that Acme promised a will to tunes to the tunes. But there was no will after he was murdered. So whoever killed Acme was after his will. He offers to pay Eddie to help clear Roger's name, but Eddie declines. And immediately after, he sees in the newspaper, back in his, in his office, he sees in the newspaper that there, in fact, was a will right in Acme's pocket. 
Eddie doesn't seem to care at first, and he goes to lay down on his bed. Of course, Roger has been hiding out there the whole time, having gotten the address by asking everyone in the neighborhood where Eddie's office is, thereby informing virtually everyone in downtown L.A. where he would be. Roger explains to Eddie that he wrote a love letter to Jessica on a nice, clean piece of paper. I love this nice, clean piece of paper bit. I, I want to I wanna still shut, and I want to use that still shot to, to promo the episode. If if it were possible, I don't I don't see how I'd be able to, but uh, I just I like it. So anyway, uh, and he goes, dear Jessica, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. So he goes, why did you just leave the letter there for her in her dressing room? And he goes, obviously, a poem of this power and emotion has to be read in person. <laughs> you know, I. It's it's one of those things that goes by so fast that you don't realize how absurd it is. It's dear Jessica, how do I love thee? One, let me count the ways. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. Power and and magnitude, emotion. So anyway, um, you know he he goes to Eddie because he wants Eddie to get him out of trouble because Eddie was the one who would help all the tunes. Eddie does not appreciate Roger being in his office. Tries to you know, Roger tries to sit in his brother's chair, leaves the dust fingerprints. Really, really cool. Uh, another cartoon effect that affects yeah. the dust in real life. Oh. I, I, I really like that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Eddie starts to call the cops and Roger storms into the closet. And then Eddie goes to the closet and Roger doing a Dick Tracy impression handcuffs himself to Eddie finding out immediately after that Eddie has no keys for those cuffs. Idiot. I got no keys for these cuffs. Why does Eddie have a pair of handcuffs that he doesn't have the keys for? I I don't I don't understand it. But you know, that's a that's a whole I'm going to guess he lost here. them. Right, but like he could have taken them off a perp. Maybe. I mean, it seems to be the only cuffs that he has because he didn't check to see if it was his other cuffs. It seems to be like I got no keys for these cuffs, and perhaps that's he that. only has two pairs of cuffs. Maybe one, and the other one. He, he knows where was... they are. The others, he does not have keys for, so he doesn't. But I mean, he's. But he also has, you know, like he's still got his holster, but he doesn't have his gun anymore. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Isn't that because you know, he so like thinking... left? Left his well, he left before, his... so they probably had to return right. his gun and his badge. But right. that's like it, it just also, you know, he keeps a lot of stuff from his cop days around, mm-hmm. even though maybe he doesn't they... have, you know, like what? I was say, maybe they maybe they made him return the keys and not the cuffs. They were like, <laughs> gun, badge, keys. No, you keep the cuffs. That's fine. Keep the cuffs. We don't want those. Yes. You got a one one shot with these guys. One time. Do it. One chance. Do it. <laughs> do it, do it, do it. Gerald's game kind of deal. I don't really care. Don't do what you want. So anyway, um, the weasels show up because of Roger's major faux pas and basically telling everyone in, in downtown LA where he would be. Uh, and because they're cuffed together, obviously he can't just hide Roger in the closet. He has to get creative. And so one of those funny cartoon things is he like jumps into the bottom drawer of his desk and then like pops his head out the top drawer 
which obviously would be impossible because the middle drawer would be blocking it. But that's what cartoon physics is. That's what they do. So he goes, remember, you never saw me. Get out of there. So anyway. um, So he hides Roger in this like really nasty looking sink water, which, you know, you do what you got to do to not get caught by the weasels, because that seems to be far less pleasant than being in nasty soap water. So <laughs> the weasels go and the, the the leader, what's his name? Psycho or whatever. The, uh, the what? I'm just going to call him Squiggy. I'm going to call him Squiggy. 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 <laughs> Squiggy goes up to Eddie and, you know, he starts talking about it and he's like, oh, you know, what was it? Uh, some kind of curse of bullshtick. He said, that's bullshtick. A load of bullshtick. So Eddie goes, you keep talking like that and I'm going to have to wash your mouth out. He shoves a bar of soap in his mouth, you know, like causing him to like, you know, fall backwards and like start coughing bubbles, which makes all the weasels start laughing. And then Squeaky goes, stop that laughing. One of these days you're going to die laughing. And uh, so there's like a big thing, you know, Eddie convinces the weasels that Roger is in fact not there. And Roger says, how can I ever repay you? And he plants a giant kiss on Eddie's mouth. And Eddie says, for starters, don't ever kiss me again. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So we got the office scene here where Roger was hiding out in Eddie's office. And then the weasels come in and all of that. What do we think? Like, Because I don't know if it necessarily moves the story forward. But what about all the effects that were used, specifically the water effects? Let's uh, start with Will. What did you, what'd you uh, think here? Oh, I think um, I think it was really good. I liked, I mean, I think all of the effects were executed mm-hmm. superbly. Um, I think I like the how they did all the things with the water, as well as the gun, how they had it. They actually um, they did the wire trick where they they floated it that way and then there was also some other mechanical device with like robots and such and then the wow. thing they had like to sh- spit the water and then yes. they animated o- o- yes. all of that together it's seamless i mean of like, course wa- you know i'm sorry good i was just gonna say rewatching it i i was also just kind of like you know what like damn like that looks really this good yeah. really well done So I will say about that one part with the water where like, you know, he brings Roger up and he like spits out the water. It's like it looks really good. But, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, it it you you can pretty much tell that he's just kind of like pulling up a spigot. You can you can tell that he's pulling up a spigot from the from the water and it's just like pumping out water, you know, because how are you going to make that look perfect? But it looks really good. It does. Convinces me. It convinces you. Well, it actually was a cartoon character and was making that up. So, Ken, this scene, Eddie's office, do we love it? It's it's a good scene. You know, one thing that, you know, when we're talking about the effects and stuff, um, so the part with him, um, you know, spitting out the water. And then also much earlier on, we were talking about the part, you know, when, you know, he jumps out of the chair and the chair moves and he goes to the window. 
mm-hmm. all those things, the way all that stuff moved and everything, just for some reason, every time I watch those, it always reminds me of like um like Disney rides. Like when you go to Disney World hmm. and they have, you know, like they'll have like the haunted mansion and the chairs will start moving or you know, ah, something nice, like yeah. it, it always was, and, and I'm guessing it's just because, you know, it's just all that animatronic stuff. Right. And the way that they do it, I just, I always get that feel from it. Just especially those two particular scenes. Like when you see him lift up thing and then, like I said, when the chair moves, I'm like, I've seen that before. You know, like when, like I would go to Disneyland, Disney World. Um, but the, I mean, these guys, this was, you know, this was the probably the the top movie well first of all this is the first movie that started the kind of uh mashup of different genres it wasn't it wasn't the first movie that did live action with animation but it Mm -hmm. was definitely the one that was most intensively done and it was the first one to mix between you know like so it was disney and warner brothers and you know, like everything like that. So then, you know, and then after that you get space jam and then after that you get ready player one. And then, you know, mm-hmm. so it was, it was definitely one of those things to begin it. And th- this was just the way th- they just did everything. So very um, specifically, like we said, the difficult way. And, you know, like you said, they, they were, you know, holding the guns. And then at one point, I think they even had like a, they had like a puppet, like one of the weasels was a puppet that mm-hmm. they would have that he would interact with the puppet too, I guess, just to get him to have well, someone to react to. So they would do two takes of every scene, yeah. one with these rubber, like rubber representations of the mm-hmm. cartoon characters so they could get the sight lines. And then they would shoot it again using, there's, there's probably a really technical, there's a name for it, but Whatever it is, is like they had the, the movements of the camera programmed so that right, it would right. shoot the same every time. So they would shoot the one with like the puppet and then the one without the puppet. And then like they would go back and they would look at both of them and see if they had the same sight lines. Hmm. OK, yeah, that was that that was the uh, that was the <laughs> camera that they invented, I think, for Back to the Future. That they invented that, oh, you know, right, automatic the, the, motion system, mm-hmm. the, the right, computer controlled yeah. motion system for that. That's what I mean. They were it, it was at that time. These guys could do anything like anything that they told the studio they wanted. Studio, I mean, especially like right, right after Back to the Future hit. And then I think what was a weird science before that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. there was like a couple others like he they were on such a such a winning streak like over the, oh, that yeah. like from like 1984 to 1988. It was oh, ridiculous yeah. the kind of stuff. Yeah. they But did. like right before that, they were having some trouble, right? Wasn't that with or am I? Oh, I think I'm thinking of George Lucas or Lucas. I think with like used cars. Who was that? Oh, use. Oh, well, uh, used cars was I think, you know, that was some I think so. No, I think I think you're right. I'm not sure if it was Zemeckis that had done used cars, but I know that they had like a couple of movies. They did. It was 1941 and used cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like mm-hmm. those kind of bombed, right? Right. And then right. And then yeah, exactly. And, and then they, well, they, 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 were, then, they were kind of famous for bombing, weren't they? Like they were they weren't good, but that's what made them 
so well yeah, known, it, right? Like it was directed. Used Cars was directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Robert Zemeckis yeah. and Bob Gale. Ah, so that's right. like and, that. And that's then they that did team. The back that's why they team. had a tough time doing Back to the Future, and why they eventually right. had to go to Spielberg because he was their friend, and they're like. You know, we hate being known as Spielberg's boys, but this is our last chance. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. But then, yeah. hey, they did it. They did it. They made yep. it happen. Yeah. So anyway, <clears throat> Eddie brings Roger to the to the bar, which I guess was just across the street. He was in his jacket and all that stuff. And it was kind of cool what they were doing with the jacket and like the pushing out and all that. Uh, Eddie hides Roger in the rot gut room of the bar from the prohibition era, which is pretty cool that they, that they included that because Roger was like, yeah, secret room, a speakeasy. It was um, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting that they had that room left over from prohibition. And so personally for me, I think that this season season, this scene is the most visually appealing scene in the entire movie. Because they had that swinging light, right? So they gets into the room and like someone knocks the light with their head. So the light's spinning around in circles. And Roger is like sitting next to Eddie while he was trying to get, get him out of the handcuffs. And uh, the light is like illuminating the room. And of course, there's no actual cartoon there. So the cartoon gets illuminated along with the light. And this light is just spinning around and around and around and around. And they had to, I, who the hell knows how painstaking it was to get this to look right. The shadows and the lighting to match the cartoon against the real people and like scenery and all that stuff. But what a cool scene that was. Uh, so, um, okay. Uh, Eddie deduces that the will still hasn't been found and guesses that R.K. Maroon killed Marvin Acme to get the will to Toontown. The will to Toontown, right? Not to get it to Toontown, to have the will that will have him own right, Toontown. To will Toontown so, into existence. Will to, right, exactly. The will, the you to Toontown. Anyway, um, I mean, just like seriously, they were talking about like check the probate yeah my my uncle thumper had a probate and he had to take a lot of big pills and drink lots of water not the prostate you idiot probate (laughs) you know again it's another one of those scenes where it's a lot of just you know okay roger's gonna be here for a little while nothing really gets you know moved forward but they did that i think as an excuse for the the whole lighting effect um, that was a will. You know, you like the lighting effect. Did you notice it? You I it love cool? the lighting effect. It, I mean, it was. I mean, definitely doing the research for this. I, mm-hmm. it was brought to my attention a lot more, as yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do talk about that. And actually, I did read something where they were saying that there is now an industry term called knocking the lamp, or like mm. knocking the light. In reference to like something that's just like insanely difficult, kind of for no reason that no one's going to (laughs) notice. But you know what the thing is about that is that it's so well done that most people didn't even realize it was happening. Exactly. It was like it was like you put so much effort into this and you hope 
that people don't notice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's exactly. such a Ken. Ken, this 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 scene with all the craziness in the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when when if you're going to talk about this scene with all the craziness, I mean that's kind of the whole movie. But yeah, um, <laughs> the 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 light. I mean that was. You know, you notice, you definitely notice, and there's going to be a scene later on that we'll that we'll talk about that'll bring it up. You notice how kind of toward well, it's actually two. Uh, you notice how toward the beginning of the movie and through you know most of the middle and everything, you could see these guys were killing themselves <laughs> that just to get all all this stuff just right. Like yeah. I, I can only they they the animators must have hated Zemeckis so badly. Because he was probably like, it has to do this. He's like, no, 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 it's got to. And they were yeah. probably like, look, nobody's going to notice that the shadows are, you know, rotating around his face. He's like, exactly. That's going to make it look really real. And, and you know, yep. and that'll. So they were just like, we got to spend the next, you know, three months just working on this one scene. And, you know, and it's. <laughs> yeah. And they said, and like nowadays, you know, you want to show like the behind the scenes stuff. You know, you'll you'll show them back then. You see all these guys animating stuff and checking all the the shadows that. And then today, the uh, entire you know animation scene would be like five guys in a room just on a computer. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's just it's it was just amazing how much you know quality they put into this. And then you can notice as the movie starts nearing toward its end, there are some scenes that are really like uh, these guys were just like, look, we just we, we can't do this anymore. We <laughs> they can't, got we tired can't, at we, the end. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah they're like, we can't make the deadline. Cut. We, yeah. Yeah. What's that? There was a lot of stuff cut because of that. Like in in yeah. uh, the original cut, there were, or the original idea was there were supposed to be seven weasels and there was supposed to be like this dark seven dwarves thing. Uh, that's why their their names, yeah. I, for, I forget their names. Their their names are like the seven duffs and like Queasy. And, okay. they, know, yeah, they, they had they used like weird adjectives. Yeah. Yeah. So that was something that you do notice that the the just amazing quality of this scene and then later on you're like oh that's nowhere nearly as good as as that they really like something happened oh yeah you know it's it's one of those things where like modern day technology makes it a lot easier to do but then it doesn't look as cool because oh yeah of course you know, not it's all like cgi and it's like okay yeah, okay, fine, you CGI'd it, but that yeah, that animation and and so much I watched the movie with the commentary and so much of the commentary had to do with they just placed all these things like the lighting and the shadows and when they had like the the cartoon characters walking next to someone or just up to something, they would have a corresponding shadow, which obviously wasn't there in real life they added that in post-production and it was like they basically took all of the effort in the world spending three months on a single scene and all that so that you wouldn't feel like you're watching a cartoon drawn onto the screen uh even though that's exactly what it is but they like everything is like we need to trick the viewer's brain into believing that there is actually a cartoon character on the screen and I'm so glad that they did because the movie just looks so striking and great and wonderful. So back at Eddie's office, he goes back to his office again. 
Jessica's there when he comes out of the bathroom. It's a weird thing to 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 watch. He comes out of his office. You hear you I'm just comes out of the bathroom. You hear the toilet flush. He's not wearing a shirt, but he's still wearing his tie. And I'm like, okay, what's that all about? Whatever. But I'm like, what's going on? Did he take a shower? Did he like, I I don't know. So anyway, Jessica tries to explain that she was just a pawn in a bigger scheme. She tells Eddie that Maroon attempted to blackmail Acme and told her that if she didn't pose for the patty cake pictures, Roger would never work in this town again. I couldn't have that happen to my husband. I would do anything for my husband. Anything. Remember that? What a wife. <laughs> what, a, what a line that. Um, so, yeah. Eddie, like, he wasn't convinced. And, he, like, he believes that she's just trying to get him out of the way so she can get to Roger. Uh, Dolores shows up and reveals to Eddie that Maroon never wanted Toontown and that Cloverleaf put in the highest bid for Toontown. And unless Acme's will shows up by midnight, Cloverleaf will, in fact, own Toontown. So Eddie comes up with that. Good question. Good question. They buy the red car. Now they want Toontown. What's up? What's going on? So, um, Ken. Seen in the office, Jessica Rabbit. And then it things start slowly unfolding. Eddie thought that he was on the verge of solving the case, but he was actually nowhere near because the clues weren't actually the, the right clues. Ken, what did you think here in the movie? Well, I think the first thing is Eddie was probably doing like quick, uh, quick underarm, you know, oh, yeah. washcloth. Underarm, okay. underarm, yeah, back of the head, <laughs> little, little chest, you know, just because he's, you know, you, you know, you know, those yeah. gum shoes, they don't, they don't take showers and, you know, they'll sleep for like two or three hours and wake up and be like, I smell like whiskey and cigarettes and I think I puked last night. So, you know, goes into the bathroom and, you yeah. know, got to, yeah. you know, clean himself sure, sure. up. Um, and then, I mean, this was, you know, this was more, you know, you know, more of what, you know, you never forget. I mean, is Jessica being Jessica. Um, I mean, and in the book, she was way worse from, oh, from my what goodness. I understand of that is that she well, was the, just like this. Right. Yeah. In the book, she, she didn't, she, she was a, an apathetic character. She didn't want anything to do with the whole thing. So I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead, Ken. And um, so, you know, you get more of, you know, what, you know, they're trying her character to be. And then, I mean, her, and it's like her entire talk with Eddie, just like everything she says was innuendo. Like there was every <laughs> single word out of her mouth. I mean, what is it like when, uh, when, when she's there and like, you know, like his pants fall down and then the, 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 you know, the barmaid walks in and Jessica walks out and like the last, I think one of the last things she says is remember my offer remains firm or my offer stands firm. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I can't yes. believe I didn't remember that last time. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Yep. Like what? Well, and, and I just, I feel, I feel bad for the poor parent that brought their kid to see this thing. Oh, they you know, things that, Oh yeah, it'll be cartoons. And they're just like, <gasps> but, but you know, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of stuff in the old cartoons too, though. They put in a lot of adult jokes in there too that the kids wouldn't oh, yeah. understand, but the adults. Oh, yeah. 
So, but uh, that was just, this is the whole, you know, getting, and, and one thing you noticed too, I think I might've, I might've actually took first took notice of it in this scene. Jessica rabbit never smiles. She's always got like this smoldering kind of sneer. She's always kind of frowning. I don't know if mm-hmm. I, I might be wrong at that, but I think like I was like, she, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. yes. I, right. I was, I was, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mean for you to stop talking. It was. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. cause I just always noticed she'd always have like this kind of like sneer anytime she, you know, she shows her teeth, you know, it's like one of those, mm. you know, come up and see me sometime kind of things. There you was... know, like, like, at, you know, she's always smoldering. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was one scene. And that was when he said nice booby trap that she oh, okay. kind of does this very quick smirk. And I happened to have taken a picture of it so you could see it. <laughs> She's she is smiling okay. there. So, OK, yeah. OK. Um, All right. Anyway. So anyway. Um, yeah, I, it's, that's that's not for the, the listening audience, because obviously they can't see that. But we're going to leave it in anyway. So. OK. Um, Will. Yeah. Your thoughts here. You know, all this whole Jessica Rabbit and you know Eddie's clues were wrong, etc. Yeah, I mean, so at this point I think they're they're sending up the trope of the film noir a little bit, you know, by mm-hmm. having him kind of sort of be more of a bumbling private eye. Um, you know, have uh, being that his clues were wrong and all this, but it's also kind of it's like it's it's interesting because it's simultaneously like moving the story along but also include uh, interjecting a lot of this strife and turmoil you know with the whole thing between eddie and jessica rabbit um mm-hmm. the new clues involved and all that i do think it moves everything along pretty well yeah you know as as i feel like we've referenced like I feel like you've referenced a few scenes that have like kind of not really moved it along, moved along the plot quickly. I feel like this is kind of like bing, bang, boom, like, all right. We're, yeah, we're, this we're, is let's go <laughs> like this. Moving. This is definitely so I, I I feel like I've noticed that there are certain scenes in the movie that are made just for like them to show off what they can do with their special effects. Like, you know, they, they'll they'll be like, you know. Uh, interesting dialogue and all that stuff, but it doesn't necessarily move the the plot forward. And then you have this scene where it's Jessica and they're like, she's holding onto that mirror. And that kind of seems to be the only real effect that they're using in the scene. Um, because this scene is actually very important. She's saying that she was basically blackmailed into posing for those pictures so that her husband could keep working. Uh, one thing I loved is that during the soundtrack and uh, during this scene, just like, and the the music kind of dwindled for a little bit as he was bending down to, to pull his pants up. And as he's pulling his pants back up, the back of his head hits Jessica's boobs. And in that moment, the bass goes, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking I love that they like that they would bother to play around with the soundtrack like that, like actually incorporate it into what's happening in this scene. <laughs> I love that. 
It's so great. So anyway, that's that scene. So back at the bar, Roger is entertaining the guests by singing Merry-Go-Round Broke Down, the the Looney Tunes theme. And uh, at the end of the song, the record skips and Roger keeps breaking the dishes over his head, which is kind of cool. I saw I saw the uh, this the, the scene without Roger drawn in. And it's this like little like anime, like animatronic robot that like keeps picking up plates and breaking it over. <laughs> it's like um, it looks I love I love that that, that was built. Yeah. Of, is, yeah. That's it's a like thing. This, <laughs> this what does this thing do? It breaks plates over itself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh roger insists that angelo would never rat on him because he made him laugh a laugh is a very powerful thing then they do that cool light thing again but this time it's a red light from dolores warning them to shut the hell up and it's cool like the red light goes on and then roger turns red and it's cool again not as complicated as the the swinging light scene but it's just cool that they that they had that kind of detail in it. So anyway, uh, Judge Doom shows up and offers a five thousand dollar reward for any information. Angelo appears as though he's about to rat out Roger, but then he mocks Doom by saying, "Yeah, I seen a rabbit," and then he holds out his arm and he goes, "We'll say hello, Harvey, Harvey the Invisible Rabbit." That was a reference that I wonder if people actually got it very much. In the late 80s, Harvey the Rabbit. I know about it because of Wikipedia and all that. So when I saw it, um, I understood that it was a reference Mm -hmm. but I to a movie, but I didn't really know what movie or why. Well, I understood the why, but like I knew that much. It's like I had yeah, yeah, I had understood it when I had understood it when they showed it just because I had like I had, I hadn't seen the entire movie. I'd seen like scenes out of it. It was, it's kind of like it was one of those things that, you know, your parents, you know, mentioned to you a few times. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, like if when they would show a scene or something on TV, like you'd watch it real quick, you know, because I think I think it came out in the fifties, right? Something I think like you're. That. I think it was nineteen. No, it had to have been before that because this was nineteen forty-seven. All right. Um, no, no, but yeah. I'm just saying in in real life. Oh, in in real life. No, well, Harvey. The movie Harvey yeah. came out 1950, um, 1950 film in 1950. Yeah. So yeah, that was, so of- that's something that you know, like my parents, you know, would have seen that, mm-hmm. and then you know, like when we were kids, you know, every now and then they talk about it. So I was well aware of what it was, and I had seen you know little bits and pieces of it, but I mean, I've never seen the whole thing. But like as soon as he said that right away, I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. Real quick side note. The play Harvey came out in 1944. 1944. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so it did. It did make sense chronologically. Although Angelo having seen it doesn't make a lot of sense. But whatever. That's fine. (laughs) No problem with that. Quite the thespian he was. Quite. Yes. 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 The master thespian. (laughs) We'll say hello. Harvey. (laughs) <laughs> I like I also like that um Harvey wears a piece and Roger was like spinning it on top of his head. It was a <laughs> it was fu- a fun little thing that, you know, he's like and he didn't even care. He was like, "Oh, look at my look at my fake hair spinning around." So 
Anyway, uh, there's the Harvey thing with Angelo. And uh, that officially solidifies Roger's claim. Unfortunately, Doom figures out that Roger is in the bar. And after throwing a record and injuring one of the weasels, reiterates that the weasels will die laughing. It's a very, very thrown in your face theme that one of these days you're going to die laughing. But they really wanted to drive it. So then he lures Roger out using the old shave and a haircut trick. And it's just such a perfect thing for a tune. No tune can resist the old shave and a haircut. <laughs> it's like it's going around the fucking bar. And then one funny thing about the the final one before Roger actually you know burst out of the room and said two bits, he didn't tap shave and a haircut. He tapped that that that. So it was like shave and a haircut. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to explain, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, I got it. Yes, you get me. You understand. So <laughs> having lured Roger out of the rot gut room, Doom begins to drop Roger into a vat of dip, but Eddie pulls a fast one. Remembering what happens when Roger drinks, he asks Doom if Roger can have one last request. Initially, Roger declines, saying, no thanks, I'm trying to cut down. But Eddie uses cartoon logic on Roger, using the old you do, I don't, you don't, I do trick to get him to take the drink. Of course, this causes all sorts of mayhem, allowing everyone to escape. Ken, your thoughts on this whole, like, unfolding of Judge Doom and the, <laughs> and the cartoon logic and all that. Well, I mean, he's he's definitely they, you know, establish him as, you know, the you know the devious villain, the the unstoppable force in a way. You know, I mean, he, you know, there's, you know, nothing you can do. He's gonna get what he wants. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't matter how clever you think he are, you are. He's smarter. You know, it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. He's stronger, which we'll see that later. Um, and uh, oh, yeah. he's just, you know. Yeah, just the the relentless enemy, you know, and just mm. the idea that when when you know, and, and also just that kind of thing that he's more of that elite level that you know something needs to get done and nobody else can figure out how to do it, and he just comes in. He's like, oh yeah, I know how to handle this. <laughs> and he's like, I'll knock on the wall a few times, and then all of a sudden, you know, it, it's it's just he's you know he's uh, definitely you know a foe to be reckoned with, right. Um, I always get such a kick out of how, like, he's doing the shaving hair and shaving a haircut and not completing it. And I love how tortured Roger is by that. Yeah, yeah. By the fact he's just like, <laughs> like you see, like the animation in him and his bow tie starts spinning around because he's like he's going so crazy. Even his bow tie is reacting. Uh, you well, know what, and you know what I just realized? What's that? The top of his cane has like the little fist on it. Oh yeah, like like this. And then they did that in Back to the Future, like like a like a year or so, a couple of years after that. Nice. I'm wondering if that's there's any connection. The next with that. year, I'm sure there was, because there there were actually a, f a few connections between Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit 
one of them was the I'm going to ram him. They used that exact line in both in uh, the first okay. Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Will. The same tunnel. Yes, they did use the same tunnel, except that in Back to the Future, it did not lead to Toontown. That would right. have been a much different movie. Yes. That would have been interesting. It would have been like, we're not going into Back to the Future 3. This is just Back to the Future 2 leading into Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right? Yes. Mashups. We're talking about how they would first mashup movie. And Doc is actually Judge Doom. Right. Doc. Anyway. Doc. (laughs) Anyway. Will. No, so I I very much like this scene one because I mean just that's such a classic bit. Mm-hmm. I think that's just such a classic Warner Brothers bit. But I think it also now is starting to show that Eddie is starting to come around a little. Hmm. Like he's start- okay. I think All right. This is yeah. the first. This is like the first tip of him leaning into the cartoon thing because all the whole time before this he's just like absolutely not. I hate this. I hate this so much. This is the worst thing. I I don't want to deal yeah. with this. Where this is now, like, he's got to be like, all right, well, you know, I have to now start to to think like a tune to get this, you know, to get Roger out of this situation. So I think that is a, a pivotal character development moment. Ah. Yeah, they're showing that he's, he's kind of coming full circle yeah. because his earlier, like before the movie, when him and his brother were still alive and they were investigators, they, you know, almost worked exclusively for tunes Toontown, yeah mm-hmm. and uh that was like i mean they even when they were showing the newspapers they like they like saved goofy from like some <laughs> kind of federal investigation of being a spy <laughs> and i'm thinking <laughs> 1947 what was he, either a communist or a nazi they were charged yeah with being yeah oh, um the whole thing i mean like you know i can't say it enough the whole mixing of children's cartoon characters with this this subject matter it's just so brilliant it's like who i mean who even thought of that of course um what's his name the guy who wrote the book thought of it something came well, completely he, yeah it was uh, a comic strips it was a comic strip right but it was like you know it's sort of the same idea and i'm gonna keep requesting that if you haven't read who censored roger rabbit read who censored roger rabbit because even though we're going through the whole who frame roger rabbit movie and you know like from start to finish and you know how it ends and all that who censored roger rabbit is an entirely different story it's totally worth reading anyway uh they escape and eddie and roger try to steal the weasel's car of all cars to try to steal the weasel's car. I don't know. But so, <laughs> and then Roger was like, Eddie, what's taking so long? What are you doing? There's no key. Of course, there's no fucking key. They took the key with them. I don't even know how they got into the car. But anyway, uh, they had arrested Benny the cab for driving on the sidewalk. So he was locked in the back of the car and they let him out. And uh, then the weasels chase after them and uh, liken back to the future, except, uh, <laughs> oddly being in the only cartoon car Eddie and Roger had quite the advantage so they pull the lever uh, springing the car up and causing the cops and the weasels to crash because there was also cops involved in that chase uh, forgot to mention that and then the cartoon <laughs> the cartoon joke which could only happen in a cartoon 
Hey, Roger, what do you call the middle of a song? Gee, I don't know. A draft. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. No, that's that was a my, great one. That was my awful Roger Rabbit impression. Didn't even sound remotely like him, but I love that joke. I love the yeah. the <laughs> you do, I don't, you don't, I do. And then the bridge. He's like, gee, I don't know. Instead of just, you know, straightening himself out, he set it up like it's a joke so that everyone could crash and die. But <clears throat> fortunately, that did not happen. So Benny the Cab brings Roger and Eddie to the movie theater where they hide out. And uh, Eddie reveals to Roger that a tune with a high squeaky voice killed his brother. I love the line because Roger like starts like, you know, sobbing hearing this story. <laughs> he goes, no wonder you hate me. If a tune killed my brother, I'd hate me too. <laughs> uh, dude, this movie is just so chock full of great lines if it's because it's like such it's cartoon logic this could only happen in cartoon logic all of it and it just works so well so anyway um eddie apologizes to roger for all the times he yanked his ears and their bond becomes solidified dolores meets them in the theater and they solidify their romance a lot of solidifying going on in this scene so then just as he's about to give up the running news newsreel connects the dots and Eddie figures out the connection. Uh, I guess we as the audience aren't supposed to know what it is just yet. So moving on to Maroon Studios. Eddie goes to meet with Maroon under the guise that he has the will. I guess he tells, you know, he's like, yeah, I got the will. You know, you're going to pay me for it, etc. Even though he doesn't but he really does, and he doesn't realize that he actually does have it. Uh, that's that's the funny thing about that will. So he tells Roger to beat the horn twice if anything, if he sees anything suspicious. But Roger immediately gets knocked out with a frying pan by Jessica and thrown into her trunk. Maroon discovers that the will isn't actually the will, even though. It really is the will. And Eddie sucker punches him and feeds his tie through the film projector. He forces Maroon to tell him what the actual plan is. Maroon tells Eddie that he had planned to sell his studio property to Cloverleaf, but they needed Acme to sell his property as well or they wouldn't buy. But Acme refused to sell, so he set Jessica up for the pictures to blackmail him into selling. Uh... He said he didn't want to see the tunes destroyed and begins explaining that unless Acme's will shows up by midnight tonight, Toontown's going to be the land for the free. And then he gets shot in the back by an unseen assailant. What I love about this scene is that in all the rest of the movie, pretty much anyway, there's cartoons all over the place doing crazy, wacky things. This is one of the only scenes in the movie where there are no cartoons. And I love that. So anyway, he connects the dots. And is there much to say about this scene? I just raise your hand or talk. This is where it all comes. Together. Well, I mean, yes. Yeah. And I mean, you get to see you. I mean, isn't this the first murder you actually see on screen in front of you in this mm -hmm. one? 
Yes. I mean, people died, but you, know, you get to see it later. This is the first time you actually see someone die, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just like, again, you know, car- hey, kids, let's go see this movie about cartoons. This guy just got shot in the back with a humongous pistol. Yeah. You know, almost almost Batman 1989 Joker length pistol. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, and then and then and then. um you know, it, it was just, uh, you know, one of those things you get to see uh, Eddie's uh, style of uh, ma- makes you kind of wonder what kind of top he might have been before when he's taking some guy's mm. tie and feeding it through, you know, like a film editor film just to get yeah. him to talk. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, true, so true. What, 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 you know, what did he do when he wasn't afraid of getting, you know, caught? Like, th- this is <laughs> like if, you know, yeah. But, um, so he obviously, and that, and also that thing, you know, earlier in the bar, you know, with the guy teasing him and he just like knocks him down, yeah. shoves an egg in his face. And he's like, you know, he's, Eddie's, the Eddie's, the not afraid of a bit of the old ultra violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so, it, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's quite remarkable with him that like people give him a hard time being that he is such a, you know, I mean, I don't want to, he's not a loose cannon. But a if you piss head. him off, he's a hothead. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to piss him off because if you piss right. him off, you're probably going to regret it. So, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. This is where it all comes together or almost comes together. And I love, though, that like the scenes, the scene being so like tension me having so much tension. Tense. There's tense. Tense. That's there that's a word. very good tense. Ten- Bingo. Not tensiony. Not tensiony. Okay. So <laughs> being that and there being no cartoons in the scene, I just thought was a really cool director's choice. And, uh, you know, that's that. And so moving on, we are led to believe that the unseen assailant was Jessica. Ken, owing to your point, this is the first time we ever actually see someone get killed in the movie, but we still don't know who it was. And I don't know how that worked because it seemed like his office was just kind of closed. So how was that gun thing happening? I, I don't know. I, I I was never really quite was, able to figure it that one a window? out. Was it through a window? Because I thought I saw it. Well, like, might been through. Like, the, might have been behind the curtains. Go behind yeah, the like, curtain. Yeah, it was through an open yeah. window. Yeah, I yeah. Thought. It, it it could have been, but there 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 could be an explanation for that when you mm-hmm. when we find out what we find out later. True. 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 Well, I guess we'll get to that soon enough. Yep. So we are led to believe that it was Jessica who shot R.K. Maroon. And uh, she makes a mad dash for Toontown with Eddie in hot pursuit. He stops at the Toontown tunnel and takes out a weird cartoon gun thing with a sentient cartoon bullets. Cool. In this moment, he decides to stop drinking. He pours out the rest of his, uh, what is that, like whiskey or scotch? Just yeah. a bottle of alcohol. And uh, throws the bottle in the air. And in a sequence that no one could get away with these days he yep. shoots the bottle right so <laughs> that's um that's cool i mean like i'm glad to see that eddie has uh 
you know, like, like uh, Will, I believe you were saying he's, you know, making his, he's making a transition. He's accepting tunes. He's learning how to think like them. He's learning how to act like them. And then shortly after that, he gives up the liquor. He stops drinking. And it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty fun. Interesting that this movie basically takes place over a day and a half. And the story really starts the, like when, uh, Lieutenant Santino wakes Eddie up by throwing the liquor bottle in the trash can, right? So, like, from there till midnight was probably something like 15 hours or 16 hours. So, you know, it's kind of cool that he made that transition from that morning to that night to you know, decided to give up drinking. Um, so, anyway, uh, so he drives through the tunnel and it's really suspenseful and it's all like, you know, you got the the crazy mob music going on that <laughs> that combines film noir with crazy cartoons somehow so brilliantly. And uh, this indicates that we're in for something super dark, even though we did see Toontown earlier. We still don't know quite what we're in for. Then Eddie drives into a bright, sunny Toontown where everybody is happy and cheerful and they're singing trees and birds and all that stuff until he gets to the Toontown slums and crashes his car. And I love the cartoon gags <laughs> in the Toontown sequence. The What's her name? Like Regina Hyena. Is that her name? Maybe. We don't know. So Bugs Bunny giving Eddie a... Yeah, it was something like that. Oh yeah, it was, it was whatever. He thought it was he thought it was Jessica, but it turned out to be this really ugly lady. Uh, Bugs Bunny giving Eddie a spare when he was falling off the building. The spare tire. It's like I don't think you want it. I do, I do. So, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite redirecting the road paint so that Regina Hyena would like <laughs> make the turn and just crash into the wall. And of course, Eddie's shadow saying Gesundheit when he sneezes. Uh, Jessica saves Eddie's life when Doom tries to shoot him, and she finally convinces Eddie that she's not evil. She explains that she went to the studio to try to stop Doom, but she was too late. She hit Roger over the head with a frying pan and threw him in a trunk so he wouldn't get hurt. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> so anyway... Roger escapes in Eddie's car and Benny the Cab shows up and takes Eddie and Jessica out of Toontown. Wow. Will, the Toontown sequence and this. So, I mean, this is this is another another one of those, I feel, payoff moments that, mm -hmm. you know, because that I mean, one of the reasons this this film holds up be is because it's a great story. It's very well told. It's well put together. But also, I mean, it is kind of a special effects film. Uh -huh. And kind of, and I mean... Sort of, a little bit, right? Just a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one of the main catalysts to go see it is like, oh, cool, humans are, are cartoons in the human world, humans in the cartoon world. This mm -hmm. is going to be, this is going to be great. And this is, you finally getting, you know, you get a, what... What is it like? Forty-five minutes to an hour worth of talk about Toontown, something like that. Yeah, right. And we only see like the little glimpses of it. 
right? And mm-hmm. now we're finally in it. Um, and yes, I agree. I love all the 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 cartoonisms that happen. <laughs> I think, and I, I I love that that Eddie's physics seems to match the cartoon physics when he's in Toontown. Yeah, it's like you go through the tunnel and physics changes a little. Like bit. yeah, like when he's in the elevator and it like shoots all the way up and like Eddie like melts into the floor. <laughs> like like even though he's a real person, he still has cartoon physics. Like, you know, he falls off the thing and he's able to like reach up and grab his hat and all that, you know. So, that's kind of cool. Uh, Ken, Toontown. Uh, you're still muted. I got to unmute. There we go. There you go. <laughs> um, I I uh, I remember that that scene entering in. That was like you know that's the big payoff scene. That's you know here we mm-hmm. go. You know especially going down that tunnel and being a Disney movie. You know there's always that you know Disney whether it's a ride or whatever. You're you head down that tunnel and then you know the whole thing opens up in front of you. Um, I think it, it was funny that the song that they're singing when they all go in is is a little aggressive for a, for a Disney song. I believe they're, <laughs> yes. they're saying like smile, smile, damn you, smile. Or smile, well, they're saying smile. smile, darn you, smile. Yeah. Yeah, smile, darn you, smile. And I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. Like, like that's, you know, so it's, yeah. it's uh, it kind of gives you a little bit of a, uh, a a little bit of a precursor of kind of you know like what you're in uh what you're in store for when you go into toontown mm-hmm. and um and then i remember when so when he uh crashes his car i think first of all i think he's he's hitting into jessica's car who's already parked mm. or who or i, I think was... he hit her car but her car had already hit the back of a truck like a garbage uh. truck or something like that and there was there was a whole bunch of garbage and stuff like out on the road right and the one thing I remember seeing was there was like a piano, like a broken piano on the road, and it's laying on its side, and it's got like this, like the keys are its, you know, mouth, and, and, its, teeth and it's got right, like yeah. this horrible grimace, like maybe when Jessica hit her car into the back of this truck, like she killed the piano. Uh. Like I thought, and I was like, oh my god, he's like, like, like he's looking like, oh, like he, like he just got killed. Yeah. So I was just like, damn, this is, you know, it, it, it kind of gave you that. Um, and like, I'm trying to remember what other cartoon. There was another one like around that time that, you know, they, they go into a cartoon land and all of a sudden everything is like, you know, it's all mm. cartoon. You think it's going to be fun, but it's quite a bit more dangerous than you imagined it, you know, initially being. Right. So I think they uh, kind of put a little bit of that into this. I don't know what movie oh, you're talking about, but cool that world. Fun. Yeah. Oh yes, Cool World. Was Cool World that, before this one? It it was after Who I think it was after. It was after and it was far worse. It was yes. not and the effects were not yes. nearly as good. Yeah, like the No, it was yes. no. It was nonsense. No, no, it was nonsense. it was I, I <laughs> it was not sense. Yeah. But I mean you I mean you're talking about, you know, I mean Who Framed Roger Rabbit was like, you know, your major, you know, studio you know, humongous mm. production type thing. And Cool World was like, you know, some, you know, like offhand movie that just happened to have Brad Pitt before he was Brad Pitt in it. Yeah. Mm. We, you should know? Do, we should do and, one of these yeah. on that show or on that movie. and just I would do one of these on that movie. 
Yeah, cool I, world. yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, we, we've done a yeah. lot of things we like. I we should do one that we don't like. <laughs> we should do one that kind of sucks. <laughs> yes, I'll do many that suck. All right, several, several that suck because it's fun to make yeah, fun of. So things that was, that I mean, I thought fun. that. So that was always. Uh, so I think that was that was great about you know just getting into that town, seeing that there is some underlying sense of danger. Mm-hmm. And now you know, and and this, and again, this is it. This this is the payoff. This is what everybody's been waiting for. And you can also see, you know, um, you could see that Eddie knows his way around Toontown. I mean, mm-hmm. he obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he there's nothing, you know. I mean, he gets surprised by some things, but it's, you know, that's the one thing I kind of found a little bit interesting is like why he's surprised by a lot of this stuff. You know, he yeah. used to, you know, be here all the time. And I think that's more for the audience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. He has to well, kind of be the, us in a bit. Well, what I think probably happened, you know, like his, he said, oh, back in those days, me and Eddie loved working Toontown. It was a lot of laughs. My guess is that they probably didn't really go beyond that, like, really bright, sunny area because... Okay. I mean, yeah, maybe he knows his way around a little bit, but uh, it's sort of like when you are in a situation and you wouldn't normally go into a certain place, but you are now because, you know, you, you have to. You don't really have a choice. Um, you know, he goes out of that, that apartment building. <laughs> bathroom is out of order. and It's just nothing there. Um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think that we are meant to understand that he has not really ventured into that part of Toontown. And that, I think, is why he was surprised about so much of what was going on. Um, one thing, another thing that I could say about it is that it's fun because all through the movie, Toons are coexisting in the real world, like real life, and then that's all juxtaposed. And now Eddie is the minority, quote unquote, in Toontown. He's the only real thing that exists in Toontown. And I, I'm sad to say it, but Toons look better in the real world than Eddie looked in Toontown. Like, they didn't quite have that effect down to look really good. Uh, but, I mean, I can't fault them because the movie is just so well done anyway. <laughs> Uh, are we moving on? Yeah. Will you talked right? You said you said the things. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So this uh, this was a fun scene where they're actually they're in the Toontown tunnel, going back out of Toontown. Uh, Jessica explains that Acme told her that Doom wanted to take over Toontown, so he gave her the will for safekeeping. But when she opened the envelope, there was nothing but a blank piece of paper inside. And, you know, they both just thought, all right, well, he's a jokester to the end, I guess. Whatever. And uh, as it turns out, that was the blank piece of paper that Roger found when he was in her dressing room. I found a nice, clean piece of paper, which was why it was folded into three parts. Like the whole time. It's like, well, why are you folding into three parts? But anyway, um, so I like this scene because Eddie's tie is just like flapping in back of him the whole time, which, you know, they they used uh, they, they put his tie in a string, I think. And they like just kept, 
you know, shaking it back and forth, like behind him, because obviously his tie isn't actually going to look like that if he's driving through the tunnel. Um, so they emerge from the tunnel where Doom is waiting with a barrel of dip, which he kicks over and paralyzes Benny. Uh, the weasels show up and they bring them to act to the Acme warehouse. Doom tells Eddie that if the will doesn't show up by midnight, Toontown will belong to him legally. <laughs> Rogers, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in this particular part of the movie. So, you know, bear with me. Roger screeches, screeches backward out of the Toontown tunnel and rescues Benny and they make their way to the Acme warehouse. So they get to the warehouse and Roger falls into the toilet through the window and gets flushed down. That's another whole uh, cartoon logic. No one was there to flush the toilet, but he got flushed down anyway. So Doom produces enough dip to wipe, wipe Toontown off the face of the planet and reveals his plan to turn Toontown into a freeway. As he ironically explains his evil freeway vision plan and his plan to dismantle the red car so that people would have no choice but to drive the freeway, the pressure of the plumbing pushes Roger into the warehouse, throwing one of the weasels onto a net full of bricks, which he cuts loose to fall onto Roger's head. Jessica and Roger are then suspended from the ceiling on a hook with the intent to hose them with dip. When Doom slips and falls, the weasels laugh and once again reminds them that one day they are going to laugh themselves to death. Well, today's the day. Eddie does a song and dance, intentionally injuring himself, making the weasels literally laugh themselves to death. Okay, so we have cleared a whole lot of that chunk of the movie. And I think that the really the intriguing part of this whole scene is the song and dance that Eddie does. But if you have something that you'd like to talk about from before that, please, by all means, Ken, can you get us started off with this? All right. So I think that this sequence involves uh, two of the parts that I was talking about, how the animation and, you know, everything was animated so perfectly and all the shading and everything like that. And then later on, you get to see that stuff wasn't wasn't being done as well as meticulously. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. The part when Doom introduces the machine that has the dip, and he's like, "You know what this is?" and he pours it out into a tray. That scene when Jessica goes, "It's dip," right. that is animated horribly. I mean, there is zero shading. I mean, you you could almost see, you know the like behind the cell like you could almost you know sometimes you could see the shadow yeah. of the cell because they're holding it too far away it's like it, it, that was just i was like wow how do you go from that scene uh -huh. in you know in the speakeasy or that scene in the bar when she's singing mm -hmm. or like said or the light swinging scene to that because that was <laughs> the most the, that was so flat and two-dimensional it was it was ridiculous um and it's just and you know once you go through and especially after you're introduced to that idea of that scene where the light's swinging and looking at that and really paying attention to the detail. And then you see something like that. It really stands out. Whereas before it might not have been such a big thing. And then I think, uh, doesn't that sequence we also covered involve when Eddie, Eddie is getting Jessica, um, out of there and he still has the cartoon gun or is that coming later on? 
Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, which which sequence are you talking about? The- when he when they're sneaking around, Eddie's leading Jessica around. He still has the cartoon gun with him, and it's okay. right before he shoots at Doom. I'm guessing that's later because Doom's gonna has to run away first, right? The yeah, the scene where where he shoots the last Doom, three bullets, right? The dum dums, yeah. right? That yeah, that's when, that, what, that's later. They were still in Toontown when that happened. That happened before okay. the warehouse scene. Yeah, yeah so. Yeah. Okay, so when he's walking around with that gun, that uh, was the other point. The gun isn't animated anymore. Now it's mm-hmm, like a plastic mm-hmm. gun just in those pastel colors. So it was obvious at this point the animators were like, we just we can't do it anymore. <laughs> we just can't do it anymore. <laughs> They're like, just yeah. give him a plastic gun just and shade it. Just make sure it's really shady. No it does not at all look like a cartoon gun at that point. No, it's like, dude, come on, close. man. What are you doing? So those, yeah. and you notice those two parts come later in the mm. movie. So I have a feeling that early on they're firing in all cylinders, and then toward yeah. the end they're like, "We better get this crap <laughs> finished up." And they're like, "We we can't animate that gun. They're like, just give them a prop gun. I don't care. Just just right. film it." You know. So and then this right. and then the animation. You could see the animation quality tended to drop a little bit later on. You know, during this period. Yeah, I I, I think I noticed that too, where, you know the. I guess they they put a lot of their efforts into the Toontown sequence and then they're like, all right, we're we're done. We're running out of time. We just need to let's just draw. (laughs) I could almost see them like doing like maybe four drawings of like Jessica's face, like changing, like really jerkily, like it's (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, that's, you know, I, 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 I think that's cool. And, uh, I guess you were entertained by the the song and dance sequence too. Oh yeah, no that that was obviously. I mean, that's where that's where you know Eddie Eddie gets it mm. back. Yep, that's where did he, you notice, he like you know. Did you notice that it was the same song that Roger was singing? It was the Roger was sing- breaks down. Yeah, Roger mm. was singing about Eddie, and now Eddie is singing about Roger. Now Roger is okay. his name. It did it like. It's right. you know it's 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 a nice it's a nice kind of way to round it out, Will. And it's good how he did all that classic kind of vaudeville, oh, the, car- the cartoon. You know, vo- stands yeah, up with with all the balls, sticks his yeah. butt out, right? And then yeah. starts you know, cantering. And yeah, again, no, it's brilliant. There's su- there's supposed to be real bowling balls or whatever, like heavy balls, where right. like if you actually throw those things all the way up in the air and they land on your head. You're not at least you're not staying conscious. <laughs> yeah. But hey, cartoon physics. Anyway, Will. Yeah, no, this is hey. uh <laughs> Um No, it's a fun scene. The song and dance is is mm-hmm. clearly wonderful. Um I think I um I do think the the weasels dying is well animated. Oh, I love that I sequence. Think, yeah, I think. Yes. Yeah, I think those are, you know, just watching those things happen. I feel like could be, you know, it could be mundane, but I think it's executed really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think only like a couple of like two or three of them actually died laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, One of them, which was weird because they say there's no other way to kill a tune. Of course, you know, they can die laughing. Sure, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them died when Eddie, like, punched him into the vat of dip. 
Right. But one of them actually died when he like got caught in the that little spinny thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, like, okay, cool. You know, fine, whatever. I'm not going to think because it. it was coated with dip. Was it because it was coated with dip? It mixed. It was it was one of the it was part of the dip machine. Okay. All right. You know, and so I and I love the sequence because, you know, you have these weasels like one of them, like his, you know, like soul spirit thing was like starting to go out of his body. And he was like trying to grab at it and put it back in. (laughs) It's like, all right, that's very cartoony. It's like, that's funny. And then, of course, you know, the one dead guy, I think it was Psycho, who I think it was really, really like fun, interesting that he was in a straitjacket throughout the whole movie. It's like, he's going to do do him a lot of good by being in a straitjacket. <laughs> so anyway, um, but his... And that was that was one of those scenes when he's... Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just remember when, when that one uh, weasel dying and he's trying to pull his spirit back into him. Yeah. That right. was one yeah, of those... Was... There's, there's a, no, no, no. I'm not saying no. I'm saying about that section. Uh-huh. Um there's a few scenes in this movie that I like that. I don't know, for some reason to me, I just found particularly disturbing and they just keep with you. And yeah. that was one of the first ones when he's trying to pull that soul back. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, like it almost reminded me of like when you see the war movies and some guys, you know, guts get blown open and he's trying yeah. to pull his guts back in. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> just like I flashed that and I'm like, Oh my, this is horrible. That's like, like the you know, cartoon it's, it's, version of that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was just, I, I yeah. thought it was like grotesque in a way. It just, it really stuck <laughs> yeah. with me. And so, like, so Psycho's angel thing starts flying upward and turns the dip machine back on. So, even in death, he's still dangerous, which was like, that. that's kind of cool. But then, you know, he floated away and he was never heard from again. But then the dip machine is back on. So, thanks a lot, Psycho. Um, one thing I didn't know about the Weasels is that Charles Fleischer actually voiced two of them. He was uh, the one who tried to search Jessica with the booby trap. He was the one who said, I'll handle this one. And then, like, you know, he reached inside and there was a booby trap. And that was the only time in the whole movie that Jessica smiled. Uh, and one other one. I think it was Psycho. I think it was Psycho. I think it was like, <laughs> I think that was Charles Fleischer. Uh, anyway, so getting uh, getting back to the movie on a hand. Doom intervenes after Eddie succeeds at killing all the weasels, uh, making three of them laugh to death and killing two of them with dip. Doom intervenes and does a bunch of cool stuff including trapping Eddie like against one of those metal barrels with a cartoon magnet. Uh, the cartoon hole from the beginning of the movie pays off here because that's what Eddie used. He like slaps it on the magnet and he's able to escape that way. It was pretty clever. I thought that was a, that was a cool idea. And uh, that's what he used to escape. Then after a fight, Eddie manages to glue Doom to a steamroller, which runs him over. And then guess what? Here's the here's the twist that I bet you never would have guessed. Judge Doom is a tune. But not <gasps> just any. Whoa, hey. <laughs> not just Boy, any tune. Remember me. I was the one who killed your brother. Anyway, so 
he was the one who killed Eddie's brother, just like I said. And uh, now he's about to kill Eddie with a cartoon saw blade. But Eddie manages to get his hands on the cartoon spring boxing glove, which is another payoff from the beginning of the movie, which releases the dip onto Doom. And he dies a very Wicked Witch of the West death, which I thought was a wonderful homage to Wizard of Oz. And it was timely and it was great. And he's just like melting into the dip and he's like, I'm melting, I'm melting. What a world, what a world. So, all right, Will. Yeah, this 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 doom scene, <laughs> because I really I kind of I I summarized it pretty, uh, pretty tightly. But what did you think about this doom scene where, you know, he gets into the fight with Eddie? Well, I mean, it's the big it's the big reveal um, at the end, of course, of the scene. But I think the fight is well is well matched. I like. You know, I like the reveal that Doom it, or uh, Judge Doom is a cartoon that killed Eddie's father. Uh, Eddie's father, <laughs> Eddie's brother. This isn't the Star Wars of uh... no. <laughs> um, I of course love how Christopher Lloyd plays it. Um, <laughs> just as an absolute psycho, which is great. Um, and I remember, like, I remember. So I, I watched this as a kid. And being uh, being a li- like a little freaked out at at that scene of being like <laughs> yeah I especially I especially always in- enjoyed in a little bit of a twisted way the motion he made to make the saw blade bigger every mm. time like I thought I I just always thought that was just so cool looking like and just yeah. so maniacal yeah so I enjoyed it he is quite maniacal and. The the whole like knives shooting out of his eyes and him having those cartoon spring shoes and he's like mm-hmm. he's a tune and he's an evil tune so not only do human physics not apply to him but he's also evil I guess Ken all right so this uh this movie too. I just uh, seen two big things in it for me. The first thing, probably what I think one of the coolest scenes in the whole movie, when Eddie takes out the the magnet and the electrical impulses from the magnet have little hands on them and they reach out and they grab his sword. But then once they grab his sword, when Doom just like flies forward toward him, I was like, that is the coolest thing. That like they had just when he floats out him menacingly and he's just and he yeah. doesn't even care that the magnet has his sword. He's just like, all right, I'll go with it. He's just, he just points it at him and he's like, I'll stay, I'll kill you anyway. So and that was, like, I was like, that's yeah. you know, so that was yeah. that's why I think like he kind of flipped it over because he knew he was yeah. about to to hit him and then he you know he traps himself. Um and then you know, just like Will was saying, this was the other one of those scenes that stuck with me and really disturbed me when Doom is getting run over by that steamroller and yeah. he's like convulsing and, and going in like, you know, going into like almost like an epileptic fit. I was right. just like, oh, my God. I was like, well, I guess if you were getting run over by a steamroller, what the hell would you do? Right. You know, and it just it the same thing. It was just it was so disturbing. It was just so unsettling to me, you know, and um like you hadn't, because at that point, technically, you didn't even know, you didn't really know he was a tune yet. 
Right. So even though there there had been hints, but that that just I mean that always stuck with me. Just like oh my god, how horrible is this? Mm-hmm. You know. And then you know, and then of course they just do you know the whole and goes over to a friggin' uh, was it was it a helium tank or was it just an air tank that he? I think it was just a, I think it was just a hair tank uh, hair tank an air tank hair tank. Okay, Not a hair tank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that you know, and just like how you just yeah. you know pops it was. I mean, it was it was really great, and that's you know. Just one of the great things that Christopher Lloyd can do, where he can go from mm-hmm. this total, you know, robotic, you know, kind of steel character and then yeah. just become this complete psychopath, you know. Oh, yeah. So definitely, and, you know, <laughs> good thing for him. What, you know, so after he got run over by the steamroller and, you know, we think that Judge Doom, the human, has been killed, you know, Roger Roger goes Eddie look and then like you see Judge Doom like kind of flapping up like you know in this right. flattened state those sound effects that they use for him like I'm like oh that's so creepy <laughs> so fucking yeah. creepy those sound effects but it's so brilliant so great and then like he reinflates himself which you know, I I guess you know that's that's what you do when you're wearing a costume. You have to reinflate it, and his like I said, those weren't his real eyes, so he had no reason to blink. So those eyes popped out, and they fell on the floor, and you know, like you you start seeing all these crazy things about okay, um, there was a reason why Judge Doom had to put hit that like thick rubber glove on when he you know killed the the shoe and why he like started running away when eddie like knocked over the dip and one of the hints that i didn't i i i kind of wish wasn't in the movie was when eddie said i don't know who's toonie or you or doom it was like all right that's that's a little bit that's a little bit on the cute side for me you're 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 giving it a a pretty hard push there it's like, well, maybe he is a tune then. So anyway, uh, Judge Doom has just been killed by the dip and died a wicked witch of the West death, which I love watching with all the smoke coming up and fumes and all that stuff. And it's great. Eddie, how are we supposed to get down? Turns on those water hoses. I don't know where the dip went. I guess it went down the drain in the floor. Um yeah, there was a floor drain. The floor drain. Yeah, yeah okay. I think they show it. Yep. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all went down. All right. Um, so Judge Doom killed Marvin Acme and RK Maroon and my brother, which is, you know, an Eddie quote. So Roger is cleared and all the tunes rejoice. Interesting, though, that we never actually find out who Doom really was. We just yeah. know that he was a tune. We don't know like anything about his actual like physical appearance. What will he wasn't a mouse? Oh yes, that's true. Or a dog. Well, funny about that end scene where they're like, "Oh, or this, or wasn't this? I wasn't this. He wasn't this." Where like everyone like in Toontown comes rushing in, and they're like, "Ah, uh, he wasn't one of me, or one of me, or one of me." They were like, "This guy was just in a class all by himself." But who knows what the hell he was. So the stain on Eddie's shirt comes back because the ink that he used was disappearing, reappearing ink, which makes me wonder, 
did Mitch Hedberg actually see this movie? Right? Because he did have that one joke where he said, I want to get disappearing, reappearing ink. It'd be like, fucking Mitch. Ah, you fucker. Fucking Mitch. So I don't think he actually saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Otherwise, he wouldn't have used. What's that? That's true. I hope, although I do hope he did at some point (laughs) in his life. Maybe after he did that performance. Perhaps after the joke. Where like a fan said, hey, that wasn't your idea. So you got to stop using that joke, man. Yeah. So uh, then he really Eddie realizes that Acme never actually stiffed them. He was just a prankster and the ink disappeared and reappeared later. It was on the paper on which Roger wrote his love letter the whole time. Why don't you read that love letter? Sure, Eddie. Dear Jessica, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I, Marvin Acme, of sound mind and body, it's the will. And now the tunes own Toontown. Great. Roger asks if Eddie has regained his sense of humor after the song and dance that he did. And he does the joy buzzer handshake, which appears to enrage Eddie. Eddie picks Roger up by the neck and kisses him on the mouth, indicating that he is through being a sourpuss. Everyone rejoices and Porky Pig invents that's all, folks. And that's the end of the movie. What do we um, what do we think of our broad overview of this movie? It was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole sequence. I, I mean, personally, I remember watching that end scene with all the characters mm. kind of going like, wow, I wish all the rest of these characters were in the rest of this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and, that's true. Yeah, and then it was like, finally, like you get to like, you get you get to see even more of Toontown. Mm-hmm. And it's such a tease. Yeah. That's Cause, true. Yeah, because I don't know the guy. The uh, my head was just like, but how does it work? Is it all like that? Because I know cartoons are somewhat different. This seems to be one style, and I just went on that whole track for mm. I don't know the last twenty or so years. Right. Yeah. Didn't the um, like like the dip machine was like kind of pushed out into Toontown, it kept going, yeah, and then like, run over any of by the residual... a... It was hit by was a train. Like... It was hit by a train, right. which, yeah, which kept going. Like, it didn't even stop the train. It was just, that was that. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, wouldn't that, was... that dip, something of that dip got on something. I was saying, no, that, 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 that truck did yeah. some damage to that train. Yeah. Yeah. It had yeah. to. Some dip yeah. got on something. So, like, you go out into Toontown, and then, like, you'll just see these, like, random blank spots. It's <laughs> <laughs> just I would love it. So, like, Ken, like, congratulations! You saved yeah. Toontown, but you just turned that into a weapon of mass destruction. Oh yeah, smash and was... just blue dip everywhere, which is basically what Doom wanted to do in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Well, I would say <laughs> it was it was more like like at this point the the dip machine was like sprinkling dip in random <laughs> spots. It's it's like instead of pouring burning like boiling hot water on your arm. You're getting like a few like flecks of boiling hot water, you know, like so it's not it's schwitz. not quite as bad. Yeah, it's not. I quite would so I bad. would see it more like uh, instead of getting alien blood poured directly on you, you just sort of smash it with a truck and it just spreads everywhere, and you right. know everybody gets a taste. Right. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> just yes. a little bit of burn. 
a little bit burning. Yeah, that's so bad. But this gives me something to think about, you know, because I never really thought about the dip getting splashed around. You know, the train hit the dip machine, which definitely has residual dip on the inside. I mean, come on, like that thing just blew into pieces. And now like the dip covered side of the wall just falls on the ground and like right. ceases to exist. So and we're talking about a cartoon movie. We are talking about a cartoon movie <laughs> where, where dip where dip a exists. Darn good one. Darn your darn smile. Good, yeah. Did you did you know that there was supposed to be a sequel? A, a yes. frame Roger Rabbit part two. Wasn't and it supposed I, to be a prequel? Uh perhaps it was. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, know. no. Roger Rabbit, uh Jessica Rabbit was gonna get kidnapped by like Nazis or something. <laughs> Like and like, I, I really part of me does wish I was just making that up and pulling that out of my butt. But like, that was actually no. no I'm. <laughs> that was I, actually I, I mean, you know, it, you know, it's sort of like heartbreaking. It's like I almost don't want to know what the movie was supposed to be, because you know that those Nazis were going to be like pig cartoon characters, and I, I just, I, I wish I could have seen it. But anyway, and I think and, this is this is one of those movies. I think you know. No one has ever talked about, you know, rebooting it or remaking it or redoing it just because they know there's no way. Oh, they did? Seven, they almost did it. There was test footage done with a. Oh, the one with him computer animated dancing on the table. Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, you see, that's that's the thing is it's 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 one of those situations. It was very good. They just decided to leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have been very curious to see if it was a prequel, then that means that there was no dip. So how would they have gone about killing the enemy? Or would they have? I don't know. Well, if the enemy is laugh. Nazis. Yes. Make them yeah, laugh. Yeah, so you yes. could just kill them. Yeah. Right. Just drop pianos on them. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it's funny. true. It's true. It's easy if you're uh, the tune and the bad guy's human. Yes. Anyway. Um, so that, I guess, would conclude our Who Framed Roger Rabbit discussion. Much to be said about it. The cartoons and the special effects and all that stuff. And Yes. You know. Although we didn't mention the lack of question mark. Title. Yes, you're right. We did not. And let me explain that to you because your mic seems to be uh, quieting down again for some reason. So anyway, um, yes, the title on the poster and the cover and all that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit without a question mark. And I, I don't know if it was like Robert Zemeckis or or whoever it was kept getting the question. Why is there no question mark? And the answer is always, because that's this is why there was no question mark, the question mark didn't look right on the poster. It looked like out of place somehow. So they just left it out. And uh, yeah, that's that. All right. And so having covered all of Who Framed Roger Rabbit in a rather lively and lengthy discussion, I will ask for plugs. Ken. Where can people find you? Um, I'm a solitary person. I'm usually just on Facebook. So it's Ken Radner. 
K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R. I have a little uh, cover photo of a cartoon of Nichelle Nichols as the lovely Uhura. Ah, okay. And Will? You can always find me at bassistatlarge.com for all my info. You can also check out my instrumental prog band, uh, Valence, V-A-L-E-N-C-E, and we're at valence.band on the internet. Uh, And then all our social medias are on there. All right. You can find me, John Seymour, on Facebook. John Seymour, J-O-N space S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. I am playing guitar, wearing an Iron Maiden shirt, and making a crazy face. And, of course, don't miss the Sign of the Four Ronnie James Dio-themed tribute band playing at the Village Pub in Lindenhurst, New York. That's in Long Island. That will be January 28th. And, of course, also don't miss Mad Tea Party playing February 17th at Defiant in Pearl River, New York. That will be, I said February 17th, but I'm going to say it again, just in case I didn't actually say it. Both of these shows start at 8 p.m., and they are certainly not to be missed if you can help it. And that will be that. And I would like to thank Will Sepinaro and Ken Radner for being part of this discussion it was an absolute joy and i will bid all of you ah thank you and i will bid all of you a good night good night good night ken good night will good night